And our reading this morning is taken from uh, the book of Luke, uh, chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. And if you want to follow it, it's page 1039 in the Bibles in the church. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd... About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Great to have the opportunity to speak to you on uh, what might be for some of us a well-known passage. Maybe for some of us we're coming at this for the first time. So uh, let's pray that God would reveal something new to each one of us this morning. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. Thank you that it speaks to each one of us in different ways. But thank you that it conveys profound truth. And we pray, Lord God, that we would uh, know something more of that truth in our lives this morning. And that by doing so, we would become more like you. And that it would be to your glory. Amen. So I wanted to start by just giving you a very short uh, insight into my sermon writing process. I thought this might be very exciting for you. Uh, I usually start my sermons about a month before I know I've got to preach. Um, that is how organised we are at St Paul's. And uh, I often sit in Café Nero on a Tuesday morning and uh, try try and start to to get it down on paper. And I sit in Café Nero, as I look round, I think, if this won't connect with these people who are sitting there having their cup of coffee, then it's probably no good. Um, But this week, uh, on Monday and Tuesday, I was uh, out um, of the parish and I didn't have my usual day to get really prepared. And... um, so I'm sort of a bit behind schedule. So, um, so we'll see how it goes. But before I preach, I always read it through to Jenny. And Jenny, my wife, um, 
just always has brilliant insights into uh, what I'm preaching, and normally the best bits all come from her anyway. Um, But as I was reading it through in the kitchen to Jenny yesterday afternoon, I noticed uh, quite quickly that her eyes were glazing over, and... Uh, Where she had been cutting the carrots, she was now cutting her fingers, you know. Um, And I came to uh, the fairly quick conclusion that it was one of the worst sermons I've ever written. Uh, And I found myself saying, uh, Lord, I've just got nothing to offer to you. And then I realised the irony. Because Jenny says, isn't that the point of the passage? That we have very little to offer to God. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So praise God for the wisdom of our wives. The account of the... Here, here, says Rosie on the front row. The account of the feeding of the 5,000 is probably one of the best-known passages in Scripture. It's contained in all four Gospels, um, and it starts with Jesus desperately trying to get away from the crowd. Um, And in my mind, this crowd are like a kind of an annoying younger sibling. You know, they're just constantly following Jesus round. And all he wants to do is get away from them and just have some dedicated time with his inner circle, his kind of close group of disciples. And yet this mob finds out that Jesus has gone to Bethsaida and they follow him there. And I wonder how you would react if you'd been trying to get away from a group of people and suddenly they all turn up on the doorstep. I know, I know how I would feel, uh, you know, and just occasionally sometimes this happens, you know, Friday's my day off. And one of you, the Lord bless you, will phone me up on my day off. And I think, for goodness sake, it's my day off. But Jesus doesn't react in the way that I do, thank goodness. He doesn't shun them or treat them as an interruption or a distraction. He welcomes them. And this is, this is a kind of a by-the-by sort of point, but just so that we remember, because we could skip over this, when we come to Jesus, when we present our needs to him, he's never too busy for us. You know, he's never got world peace to sort out and therefore he can't find us a parking space. I'm not quite sure whether God works like that. But the little things that we bring to God are just as important. Nothing is too trivial for him. So let's not skip over that that small point. As the day draws to a close, Jesus' disciples realise that this huge crowd that's gathered, maybe 20,000 strong, as Louisa reminded us, the women and children aren't mentioned And yet Jesus manages to get them all to sit in nice, neat orders. So there must have been women there somewhere, because men wouldn't have been able to cope with that on their own. Um, They realise that these people are hungry. And so one of the disciples, John's Gospel tells us it's Philip, says, where are we going to get enough food to feed this lot? We could work for months and still not have enough money to be able to buy food for everyone. All we've got is these five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, you sort it out. You feed them. And it's an impossible task. How can 20,000 people be fed with five loaves and two fish? What impact can these few disciples make, these 12 ordinary men, on such a large crowd of people who are in need? They have almost nothing to offer. They need a miracle. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, you, might, you may still be aware that it contains some fairly incredible stories. The, the birth of Jesus to a virgin. Unusual. The grown man Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. Jesus heals a paralysed man. Tom looked at that just a couple of weeks ago. 
Jesus commanding this immense storm out at sea and it suddenly stilled. Even bringing people back from the dead. And then there's this event of feeding a multitude of people with a very small amount. How do things like that happen? Because mere human beings, we know we can't control the weather. We know we can't bring people back from the dead. We can't turn water into wine, much as we might like to. If these events are true, and and hopefully you would expect me to uh, believe that I think they are true, um, they have to go beyond the natural. They have to go beyond the normal experience of how things work. So if we accept for a moment that the God of the Bible is one who was and is somehow involved in creation, the order of all things, and that might be a big assumption for some of you this morning. But if we believe that he is, actually, it follows that he must be beyond the natural. If he created the natural things, he's got to be somehow outside of that, beyond it, what we would call supernatural. And therefore, the things that he does are supernatural. They are miracles, They're miraculous. Paul Weston is a lecturer at Ridley Hall College in Cambridge and he takes groups of students out into into the marketplace in in Cambridge and they ask various questions just to the passers-by. First question they ask is, are you interested in any of these three things? Religion, spirituality and the supernatural. And almost universally people say, I am not interested in religion at all. That's, that's all about being anti-gay and it's about women bishops and it's about poncing around in dresses and that sort of thing. They universally are fascinated by spirituality and the supernatural. And so the next question this group of students ask is where would you go to explore these interests of spirituality and the supernatural? And as far as Paul is aware... No one in the research has ever said that to explore the spirituality and the supernatural, they would go to a church. Which is tragic, because we have the monopoly on real spirituality. We have the monopoly on the supernatural, because we worship a God who is spirit and who is supernatural. And it wasn't just for back then. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus Christ is exactly the same yesterday, today and forever. If only we're prepared to bring what little we have to him and ask him to bless it. The problem is that just as I was preparing this sermon, just as those first disciples, we think we have nothing to offer. And some of you will be sitting there this morning thinking, I have nothing to offer. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. I I haven't been a Christian long. I just walked into the church this morning for the first time. I've got nothing to offer to God. And yet that is simply not true. Because the history of God's people is that he uses the most unlikely people. 1 Corinthians 1 chapter 27 reminds us that God uses the seemingly foolish things of this world, the things that appear to be weak in order to shame the powerful, so that the world can see that it's not us that has the strength or the power or the wisdom, it's the miraculous God that we follow working in and through us. I'm sure some of you will have heard this before, but it bears repeating. These are the kinds of people that God uses. 
God uses Noah, who was drunk. God uses Abraham, who was too old. Isaac, who was a daydreamer. Jacob, who was a liar. Joseph, who'd been abused. Moses, who couldn't speak properly. Gideon, who was afraid. Samson, who was a womanizer. Rahab, who was a prostitute. Jeremiah, who was too young. David, who was an adulterer. Elijah, who was suicidal. Jonah, who ran away from God. Naomi, who was a widow. Job, who went bankrupt. Peter, who denied having ever known Christ. The disciples, who fell asleep when they should have been praying. That should give some of you hope. Martha, who worried about everything. The Samaritan woman, who was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus, who was too small. Paul, who was too religious. And Lazarus, who was just too dead. So maybe, just maybe, God can use you and I after all. All that we have to do is be willing to offer the little that we have to Jesus, to bring ourselves, our gifts, our skills, even our struggles to the feet of Christ and to ask him to bless them and to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. I just want to tell you a story. There was once a war in a foreign land. The enemy of the people was a disparate but brutally destructive force. The regime were invading towns and cities, murdering, raping and destroying as they went. Ahead of them, men, women and children fled for their lives. They fled to neighbouring lands in an attempt to find safety. But the lands that they fled to were mountainous and a harsh winter was settling in. Often all the people had was the clothes that they were wearing. As the people encamped on the mountainsides, they started to freeze. It was a desperate situation. Thousands of miles away, a young woman heard of the plight of these people and she cried out to God, you've got to do something to clothe these people. And the Lord said, you clothe them. And that young woman thought, what have I got to offer? So I want to introduce you to our guest this morning, that young woman who is Samara Levy. Samara, do you want to come up? Have a seat tomorrow. Let me move the birthday pencils. <laughs> it's great to welcome you here. Uh, is, it, is it switched on? Yeah, we're good. It's really good to welcome you here. Thank you for driving up from uh, Brighton, is that right, this morning? Um, and to get here for nine o'clock is pretty good going, I think. Just, just tell us a little bit about yourself and people at home and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I'm married, have two children, aged three and six, um, live just outside Brighton and go to St. Peter's in Brighton. Brilliant. And um, you're the Samara behind the Samara's Aid Appeal that we've been hearing quite a lot about. Um, just tell us, how did, how did it start? How did, how did that happen? I first became aware um, of people living in refugee camps um, in the Middle East um, about two years ago. Um, And I was really shocked at the time because I heard that there were children wearing summer clothes and flip-flops in camps covered in snow. Um, And I was was just so shocked to think that anyone should have to live in a tent in the snow um, and that these poor women had nothing to to clothe their children in that was adequate for this, um, that sort of weather. But the thing that shocked me most was the fact that we had actually let that happen. Um, you know, when you think of the amount that we have here in the UK, um, stuffed away in our wardrobes and drawers and, and whatever else, I just thought, you know, we're called to share what we have. Um, and it just seemed awful that we should have so much when they have so little. Um, 
I started sending out packages um, to the Middle East, you know, just packaging up everything I could. Um, and it just felt so inadequate given the scale of the problem. Um, that I just remember praying to God. I had this idea of a lorry, filling a lorry, um, but I just had no idea where to start. I remember praying about it and saying to God, you know, well, where do I start? What do I do? Which charity do I contact? I just felt he said, start collecting. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a details kind of girl. I like to know how things work, how it's going to fit together, how it's going to get there, who's going to pay for it, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I didn't. I just felt a bit disheartened and thought, you know, I, I just don't know, don't know how to do it. Over the space of that eight months, um, God asked me three times to start collecting. Um, and the third time um, he asked, it was when um, the big crisis in Iraq really escalated and ISIS was slaughtering thousands and thousands of people and um, you know people were leaving their homes they were dying of exposure and dehydration um, just on their way to the mountains just trying to escape um, and I remember just feeling such a terrible sense of injustice that these people were managing to escape IS and then they were faced with the horror of trying to survive um, I just remember it really weighing very heavily on my heart for a few weeks and I just remember it reaching the last straw for me when I saw a photo of a baby that had been beheaded by IS. And um, I was so upset about it. I just remember saying to God, you know, I, I just don't know what I could possibly do to help these people. I'm, I'm here. I'm in the UK. I've got two young children. I'm a stay-at-home mum. I don't have an income. You know, what, what on earth could I possibly do? I, I, I don't have anything to give. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just, I just said to him, you know, I don't know what I could do, but if there's anything, I'll do it. Just, just tell me what it is and I'll do it. Um, and he said, start collecting um, for the third time. And um, I just felt this time, this instruction to start collecting um, came with a very strong assurance from him that if I was willing to step out in faith and trust him and just start collecting without knowing where it was going, how it was getting there, who was paying for it, that he would provide everything that was needed and open every door along the way. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you were offered a, a warehouse, is that right? Or you had somewhere to, to start? We've got Nothing. a picture, I think, of... Yeah, this, okay, this picture, um, and I, I guess this is where um, my story link, links into the sermon today. Um, this was four weeks into me filling the first lorry. Um, and, you know, the, I started literally, I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. I'd, I'd, by this point, I told everyone that I knew um, that we're collecting, we're going to fill a lorry. To fill a lorry, by the way, this room needed to be filled completely up to those windows, wall to wall, back to front. And I'd been collecting for four weeks. I had my, my little, I'd, I'd set out some time scales. I'd never done anything like this before. I wasn't really sure what I was doing. But I'd set a six-week period for collecting all the clothes and shoes. And after four weeks, I, I was um, given this storage unit to use for a couple of weeks. And I excitedly brought all my bags and boxes that we'd <laughs> sorted and packed in there. And I looked around, and I did my measurements, and my heart just sank because... I realized that I needed to fill... There were two sizes of lorry that we could aim for, 35 cubic meters or 90 cubic meters. And I remember in a very blasé way having said to someone, we serve a big God. He wouldn't want us to fill a small one, would he? He'd want us to fill a big one. We'll go for the 90 cubic meters. And my vicar had agreed two and a half thousand. Someone else had agreed two and a half thousand. We planned all these fundraisers to raise the extra one and a half thousand. And I remember standing there thinking what am I going to tell everyone? I mean, what am I going to say to my vicar that I can't even fill the, the smaller sized lorry? I mean, I, I stood there and realized that what I was trying to do was impossible. I mean, I had there between one and two cubic meters and I needed 90. Um, and I had just two more weeks to, to get it. And I just remember thinking, I just don't know what to do. I really have no idea what to do. Um, 
And so I did the only thing that I could think of doing, which was just to pray. And I just remember, I just had this memory of standing there, holding little miles, as you can see there, and just putting my hands on the boxes and just saying, you know, Lord, if you can feed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread, then surely you can provide enough clothes to fill this room. And I just asked him for a flood of clothes to come in over the next two weeks. Um, and it was funny, actually, because I walked away, and I, I think probably a lot of us are a little like this. You know, we ask God for a miracle and then try and do it ourselves. Um, and I remember going away thinking, right, what can I add to the list? I need to bulk out this lorry. I just asked for clothes and shoes. That was all I really wanted to send, and blankets. Um, I was like, right, what else, can I, what else can I fill this lorry up with? And I added all sorts of things to the list. I went away feeling actually you know, in advance, feeling quite humiliated about what I was going to have to say to everyone when I couldn't fill a lorry. Um, I started to compromise a little bit on the quality of the things that we were sending, thinking, oh, I've got to fill this lorry. I remember suddenly reaching a point of saying, no, you know, I've asked God to multiply what we've got, and I don't want him to multiply rubbish. I want him to multiply the good stuff. I want him to, I want him to send great stuff um, for the people out there. Um, and I remember saying to everyone, we're not going to send anything with any stains, and we're not going to send anything with any holes in. If there's a broken zip, it's not not going. We're we're just going to concentrate on the good things only. Um, And what happened over the space of those two weeks, it it really was nothing short of a miracle, the way everything flooded in. And I just, um, last little bit about that, I just have this memory of my mother, my poor mother, who um, by this point, um, the clothes were most definitely flooding in. It was like a deluge. And and actually, I felt like like the disciples that had been fishing all night and caught nothing. And then Jesus sent them back out. And they caught so much that their nets were breaking. Um, I just remember my mother um, standing in our house one day, which was piled floor to ceiling with bags. And the storage unit was also piled floor to ceiling with bags that needed sorted and packing. And a a transit van turning up outside our house. And my mum saying, no, Samara, we can't cope with any more. Send it away. And I just remember saying, thank you, Jesus. You know, let's, let's just unpack this van. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it was amazing. When, when the, when the um, lorry left, um, we had um, more than £1,000 over the amount we needed. It left two and a half weeks early and had a whole room filled with all the extra things that I'd added to that list, um, thinking that I needed to give God a hand with performing his miracle. <laughs> So this is a picture, quite possibly some of... This is a recent picture, isn't it? So quite possibly some of the boxes that we contributed might be amongst that pile somewhere. And do you have... There's a couple of other pictures, I think, just of of, uh, the boxes being unloaded or loaded there. Do you have Uh, any idea how many lorry loads have gone now? Um, Today is loading number 40. That's incredible. Yeah. And in 18 months, so that's, that's God's provision. Yeah. And did I read on your website that you, you think you've possibly clothed about 100,000 people? Yeah, it's really hard to estimate, but I estimate um, now with everything that we're sending um, today, and then we've got another lorry hopefully leaving in another sort of 10 days or so, um, somewhere probably between about 100, 100 and 120,000 people. That's incredible, isn't it? What God can do with, with our little and uh, just, just us being willing to, to offer it back to him. Yes. Um, how does it make you feel to think that what God has done through you has saved people's lives? I just feel an immense sense of privilege of having a way, and gratitude actually, because, you know, a few years back I just remember um, just feeling like I, had, like I had nothing to give. I just remember thinking, you know, what? In, in my, my husband's not a Christian, um, and, you know, you... 
you often read these amazing stories of, of Christians that have these fantastic ministries. They've gone off to, you know, give up their lives and work in Mozambique or wherever else. And, you know, they, they have these amazing ministries and you see these wonderful things happening. And it's very easy, I think, to look at your own circumstances and feel that, you know, how could you ever be one of those people? And I just remember sometimes I used to read these stories and feel encouraged, but also feel disheartened and think, you know, how, how, how can I ever give, give something amazing to God? And I, you know, I just feel this immense sense of gratitude that he's, he's given me a way to, to serve. Mm. Can we pray for you? Please do. This might be a dangerous prayer because we're going to ask him to do more, okay? Fantastic. Bring it on. So let's just uh, maybe reach out a hand and uh, we're just going to pray for Samara and her ministry. Lord Jesus Christ, we, we are amazed by what you do. And we ask, Lord God, for more. We ask, Lord God, that you would multiply uh, the numbers of lorries, the, the donations given, Lord God, and the number of people helped. That through uh, the Samara's aid appeal, many, many thousands of people would be clothed and would be given hope. Lord, we thank you for your miraculous provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one final question for you tomorrow. How much does it cost to send a lorry? It's, I mean, I always say it's about six and a half thousand. It depends where it leaves from in the UK and which um, destination it's unloading in the railway. It's approximately six and a half thousand pounds. So we want to give you, uh, we want to give you a check uh, for the money that we've raised, which is uh, just over three thousand eight hundred uh, towards a lorry. And and I'm going to pray again because that's not enough to send a lorry. And we live in one of the wealthiest parishes in the country. Okay, so I'm going to pray that we could just get the rest of it. So, Father God, uh, this morning would you stir our hearts. And, Lord, if, uh, if we feel compelled to give, Lord, we don't want to give because we feel we're being bullied into it. We want to give from a heart which loves you, Lord. Lord, if we can give more, would you do that through us so that we might bless those in need. Amen. Amen. Samara, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. Thank you. I do just want also to say just the most enormous thank you to you all because you have done so much over the last few weeks and what you've produced is, is really fantastic for a church of this size. So thank you. I'm really grateful for everything that you've done. Thank you. Brilliant. Let me just finish by uh, bringing us the obvious challenge that Jesus takes what little we have to offer And when he does that, there is more than enough. Everyone ate what they needed and there were basket loads of food left over. So what can you offer to Jesus today? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your skill or your education. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's an empty room in your house that you could offer that would be a blessing to others. Maybe it's your failures and your regrets When we offer them back to Jesus, he can and he will do unexpected and amazing things through us. So we're just going to have a short time of silence. I just want to encourage each and every one of us to think about what the unique things are that we can bring to Jesus and ask him to bless them. So we're just going to be still for a moment and then Roddy and the band are going to come and just sing quietly to us as we pray.
once you've got something in your mind, each of us will have something. Every one of us will have something that we can bring to Jesus. If if you're confident enough to do this, just share what that one thought is with someone sitting near you. And as the band plays, just as the music's playing, just get that other person to pray for you. To pray that God would use what you can offer, little as it might be, and do something truly miraculous through you. And it will bless you and it will bless others. So if you're confident enough, share that with someone else and get them to pray for you. Lord God, we give you all that we are and all that we have and we ask that you would do abundantly more with us than we can ask or imagine and that it would glorify your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.